And we're going to continue in our series um, from Luke's Gospel that we're just calling Following the Way of Jesus. And um, learning from these stories as Jesus was leading his disciples, uh, teaching them, instructing them, not only with uh, the words that he said, but, but uh, the, the observation of his life and his interactions and the decisions and the ways that he responded and interacted with people as he made his way towards Jerusalem. And, and today, another story from Luke chapter 10, where I can imagine the, 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 the conversation is actually between Jesus and, and an expert in the, in the religious law, a lawyer. Uh, but I can imagine the disciples peering over Jesus' shoulder and and into the conversation and standing amidst the crowd, likely, that was gathering as Jesus was having this, this interaction and, and watching and learning. And, and I think that's our invitation really today as we come to the, the Scripture, to be people who are, who are standing in a circle as Jesus is speaking. And, and we're watching Him and we're listening to Him and we're learning, and we're soaking it up, and we're, we're you'll see as we read this, we're, we're thinking, yeah, get him, Jesus. And at the same time, we're thinking, ooh, you got me, Jesus. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're going you're gonna to get it even more. Let's stand together as I read. This is Luke chapter 10, and we'll begin at verse 25, and you're going to... Uh, Here's some really familiar words to, to most of us, if not all of us here. At, and we'll read to verse 37, and then I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And you can say, thanks be to God. <laughs> not also with you. Thanks be to God. You're confusing people, Wilson. <laughs> 10.25. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man, and if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. 
And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So I think maybe I've shared this story with some of you before, but when my daughter Katie, and again, it's always good to tell stories about your kids when they're not here, but when my daughter Katie was a little girl, she really didn't like going to movies at all, and she didn't like watching really TV, and still to this day, we have to convince her, we have to twist her arm to kind of go to a movie and to get her to sit down and watch a TV show. It just uh, isn't something that, that she enjoys. And, and that's okay. And we've kind of learned to understand that. But a number of years ago, I still didn't really get that. And, and I remember one time in particular, it was, uh, it was like a Sunday evening. And the next day was a Monday holiday from school. And so we were kind of sitting around as a family thinking about what we could do together for a special occasion on the next day, uh, on the day off that the kids have from school. And and we said, we should go to see a, a movie. And, and there's a great movie playing. Some of you remember the movie Up. Um, and, and that was playing. Some of it, I, don't ask me about this, the movie at all because still to this day I haven't seen it. Because we wanted to go see it. And it was, you know, I think it was pretty popular and, and uh, seemed like a good family-oriented movie. Some of you may be able to tell me differently, but... Uh, it seemed like a pretty good movie, and, and, and we proposed the idea to, to our, our kids, Katie and Thomas, and Thomas was like, yeah, whatever. And Katie was like, no, I don't want to go. And we were like, why not, Katie? I, I just don't want to go. Yeah, but it would be, it would be fun. It would be like our family going together, you know, just something for us to do together as a family on this day off that we have together, and we can just go. It's supposedly a really good thing. No, I don't want to go. And, and I just couldn't let it lie, right? So I just said, well, well, why? You know, why just, I, I just don't want to go. Well, honey, it's, it's a good story and it's animated and there's going to be lots of laughter and there's, I think there's balloons and it's going to be just a, you know, but dad, I don't want to go. Well, honey, why don't you want to go? Well, dad, is there a problem? And I said, yeah, honey, there's a problem. It's that you don't want to go to the movie with our family. I, I said that in my head. I, I really did. I didn't say that out loud. But in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, honey, the problem is you won't just go to this stupid movie with us so we can hang out as a family. I'm starting to get a little irritated by the whole situation. That's the problem. And, and, I, and I sat there, but I listened again. I said, what, what do you mean? What, is there a problem? I said, no, honey, there's not a problem. No, Dad, is there a problem like in the movie? And I said, oh, oh, you mean like, like a plot? <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, I think there is. Some of you who have seen the movie are like, yeah, there's a plot. And, and I've heard a little bit about it. But, and I said, yeah, I think there is, honey. In fact, there's probably a pretty big problem. Most movies and most shows of some kind have a a problem, at least one big one. And there's several, usually several other smaller problems. So yeah, I guess, I guess there is a problem. She said, yeah, I don't want to go. <laughs> I said, okay, you don't want to deal with the problems. 
And you know what? The more I watch movies and TV shows, I think my daughter is onto something pretty good there, isn't she? It's like we have enough problems in this world, and yet we pay money so that we can experience more problems. <laughs> like just typically, yeah, I mean, just add on the problem. I mean, I guess we pay the money for the solutions, right? We pay, we pay the money so that those, because most of the time those problems get, get resolved. But, uh, but I, I still to this day now, when she says she doesn't want to watch something, we just say, okay. And, and, and let's just go do a craft, right? That's just, it's usually, although if you were to see me do crafts, that would be problems. <laughs> I, I thought about that story with my daughter as I was reading this story again and again and again, actually, this week. Uh, if, if you aren't aware, the story of the Good Samaritan is rather known. <laughs> it's, it's, in, in fact, even if you, and it, there might have been some people here this morning that as I read the story, you're like, oh, that's where the Good Samaritan comes from. I didn't even know that was in the Bible. I mean, the, the, good, the story of the Good Samaritan is so secularized in our, our society. It's hospitals are named after it. Awards are named after it. You know, civic societies are named after You know, it's just the Good Samaritan is it's just a, a concept, much more than a biblical idea necessarily in the world in which we live. And so as I read it over and, and over this week, to try to discover some perhaps new or at least refreshed angle by which we might come at this story this week, I, I began to notice something very, very significant about this passage. It, it's just filled with problems. It is problem. Problem after problem, problem with problem with the the characters in it. Problems with the the interaction, the the sort of uneasiness. I don't know if you felt it, but just as you even read it, you're kind of like, ooh. Yeah. Problems like with there's there's lots of problems actually with the interpretation of this parable. It has been through the centuries, interpreted in lots of different ways, and allegorized, and metaphorized, and you name it, it's been, it's been interpreted in, in unique ways. There's just, there's problems. And even as I, I kind of stepped away from it, at, at, at points this week, I'd be like, man, that is just, there's just, just issues there. And, and I, I begin to think about some of the just some of the problems that, that we face as we look at this, at this, at this passage. I mean, there's great truths. There's great help. There's great example for us in, in the Samaritan, but incredible problems. That, the, the, one of the problems that stands out just right off the bat is this, is this expert in religious law. Yeah, he was a, you know, I'll refrain from making any lawyer jokes at, at the time, but he was an attorney, he was a lawyer, he was a, he was a lawyer, an expert in religious law, and, and to be honest, I don't know if you're like me, but as I read the story and the interaction between Jesus and this, this lawyer, I'm still not entirely sure if he's a good guy or a bad guy. I, 
There's parts of him that are really problematic. It, it, it kind of feels like he's challenging Jesus. And from the surrounding context, we know that Jesus had issues with, with religious leaders in the day. And so we sort of anticipate that there's going to be tension between Jesus and this, this expert in religious law, this, this lawyer. And then so we kind of feel that maybe as he stands to ask Jesus this question, it even says, Luke, the narrator, even says he stands to, 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 to test Jesus. We, we might say that he stood to, to trap Jesus, to try to trap him in this, in this question. But, but then he, it turns out that his question is actually a pretty good one. <laughs> it, it, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do... To, to live into the fullness that God has for his people for all eternity. And, and this, is, this is a good question, one that we should be thinking about, one that we should be asking within our own hearts and within our own lives. And, and not only does he ask the question, but when Jesus, as a good teacher does, puts it back on him and says, I don't know, well, what, is he, what do you see in the law? What do you see there? This, this man, this lawyer, has put within his mouth the great commandment. It's in the other, other Gospels, it's Jesus who, in responding to, to the scribes, says, you sh in asking about the most important commandment, he says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor and your, as yourself. But now, it's this lawyer who is the one who's saying it. He says, what, is, what do you see in the law? Well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's a mouthful. And I kind of leaned back and I said, well, what? It's, it's good, right? He's bad. No, he's good. And then Jesus says, you've done it. I mean, that's, that's, that's right. Go now and live. He's, he's bad. He's good. And then things seem to be going so well for him. And then he, he just has to ask another question. You know, you just kind of feel like if you could have just left things well enough alone. Oh, Mr. Lawyer, you were doing so well. Go now and live. But in order to justify himself, in order to perhaps validate the way that he understood what this love for neighbor was to, be, was to look like and how it was to be lived out, he had to ask that one more question. And just, who is my neighbor? And you sort of get the sense in him asking this question that he already had in mind just who his neighbors were to be. He already had a list, if not written out, at least in his mind, a list of just what those neighbors might look like and how much money they might have and how important they might be in society and how, what kind of, what kind of people they might be in, in general. And he wanted to, to, to have Jesus sort of validate this list in his own mind. He was good, or he was bad. He was good. He's bad again. <laughs> this, this guy's a problem. He's a problem in this passage because he's a problem for us, right? Because a lot of us maybe have lists like this ourselves, like lists like he had. Lists that when we hear Jesus say, or when 
Maybe he asks us what's important. We say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, right, that's so good. And we think, yeah, but who is our neighbor? Just, just making sure that our ideas of neighbors are the same. This is, because I, I don't know when you say neighbor, Jesus. <laughs> I just want to make sure that we're on the same page here. And, and, and just the fact that we would think that way is a problem, right? It's a problem, this passage. This, it's just getting started, though, because this conversation, this man leads Jesus into telling this parable, and this, this parable, in its own right, is just filled with, with, with problems. We, we're confronted by these two religious leaders. These guys. I mean, they have forever gone down in infamy, right? I mean, you... We're, we're familiar with the priest and the Levite, or as the NLT speaks of, the temple assistant. We got the, the big man and the assistant who come by from on this road from, from Jerusalem to Jericho, where I don't think we're particularly told if they're coming from Jerusalem to Jer- Jericho or Jericho to Jerusalem, but they're on this road and they meet up one at a time. First, the priest, this, this man that's been beaten and robbed and left half dead. And in the very beginning of Jesus' story, Jesus, when he begins, he says, first a priest came by. And if you don't know the rest of the story, when you hear that opening, you think to yourself, oh, good. Right? If you didn't know the rest of the story and you just saw that opening line, first, and, and first, and out of nowhere, just as it happened, a priest came by. You'd be thinking, well, well, perfect. I mean, end of story. Good one, Jesus. Next. But suddenly, we're, we're, we're thrust into this reality that this priest who has come by observes the man in trouble and decides to walk on past on the other side of the road. And then there's like a second chance because now comes the Levite, the temple assistant, the one who was, who was actually used to not just being the, the person who would stand up front and say the prayers, but was used to doing the dirty work, who was used to doing all the, the, the kind of the, the stuff around the, the, the temple building, the activity to, to just make things happen. It, it seems like it would have been a natural for this Levite to step right in. And, and in fact, I can't tell if this is better or worse, but in fact, Jesus tells us that the, that the temple assistant walked over, kind of nearby the man, took a look, and then walked back over to the other side and kept going. Let's just take a vote really quick. Do you think it's better or worse that he actually looked at the person and then walked by, or that he just, that the first guy just walked by? All right, better that he looked and then walked by? Anybody? Worse that he looked and then walked by. Okay, some of you are abstaining. That's fine. I'll tell you the answer at the end of my sermon. I'm just... I'm just <laughs> <laughs> These guys are problematic. Oh, they're problems for us. They're problems for us. They're... I'm, as I spoke about interpretation of this parable, throughout the centuries, 
excuse, I'm sorry, reason after reason has been given for why these men would have passed by this needy, injured, broken person. Perhaps they were on their way to to the temple and they needed to remain ritually clean, pure, and to, 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 to come near and to potentially touch what could have been a corpse, a dead body would have rendered them ritually unclean and, and they would have been unable to, per, to, to, to act out their, their priestly and Levitical duties. Yeah. Maybe others have suggested that, that they were concerned that the that the very robbers, the very muggers who had taken care of this particular guy were still around. <laughs> and they were looking by, and this was the spot where they waited. There was a particular gnarly spot where, where they could just be attacked themselves. And they were concerned that if they stopped to help, they too would become victims. In fact, some have suggested that perhaps they were afraid that the man himself was just faking just to get them to stop so that they could be victimized themselves. I mean, biblical scholars, they don't have much to do but sit around and think about these <laughs> reasons. And, and others have just talked about this social stigma, perhaps, that would have been attached to, to stopping and interacting and touching and doing all this kind of stuff for this one who was so beaten. Naked, stripped of his clothes, stripped of his dignity, and easier, more proper for these religious leaders just to walk on by. That's all speculation because this is, remember, this is just a parable, and Jesus is trying to get the, the story out pretty quickly. And guess what he says about why they stopped? Zero. He doesn't say anything about it. Or why they didn't stop. He didn't say anything about why they didn't stop. He just points to the fact that they didn't stop. These religious leaders that you would expect it. I mean, a priest came by and it sounds like the beginning of a joke. And if it weren't so not funny, it would be a pretty good one. But it's so not funny. And that's a problem. And that's a problem. It's a problem for them. And for all of those who were listening, because likely the people who were listening to Jesus' story, they would have been thinking after the first, you know, the first couple, well, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting with this, okay. You know, I'm, I'm expecting this. And, and, and they could have understood what Jesus was saying, but they wouldn't have been ready for, the, for, for Jesus to, to, to speak so negatively about a priest and, and a Levite. It was... It was a problem for everyone who would... I mean, it was a problem for this expert in religious law who would have been thinking, is this true? Is this right? Could this have happened? It was a problem. It's a problem for us too. And we just think about that. It's a problem for us too because we are that priest. We are that temple assistant. We are that Levite. More than we want to... More than we want to admit. To anyone else... (laughs) or even to ourselves. We are that person who is so, you know, it, that, that mantra of our culture today, stay in your lane, bro. 
You know, that, if you haven't heard that, that's just something that people are saying these days. Stay in your lane. Don't mess around. And, 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 and we have fallen into that way of living, even as believers in many respects. We just kind of stay in our lane, and we don't really want to involve ourselves too much in what's going on out here because it can be messy. It can be problematic. There can be stigma. There can be all sorts of problems that go on. This is a problem for us. And if, if we think that the, the Jewish religious leaders, though, passing by was a problem, um, the, 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 I mean, the fact that the person who does finally stop is a despised Samaritan is a, an even greater problem. I mean, those people who would have been hearing Jesus talk about the priest and the Levite, they might have expected that finally the one who would stop would be a, a, an Israelite layperson. Je- they knew that Jesus didn't like these religious leaders. That was kind of coming through loud and clear. And so maybe Jesus was going to say, and then came a Israelite, a Jewish layperson, a non-clergy person who stopped and helped the person. They would have maybe been expecting that one. But instead, and Luke doesn't mince any words either, he says, a despised Samaritan came and stopped. This one who would stop to help the injured man is one who was hated by the Jewish people. This, and and we don't have time to get into the full description of the the animosity or the tension between the Samaritans and the Jews, but it had been brewing for centuries since the Assyrian invasion of Israel and taking them into exile and the, the, the mixed marriages between Assyrians and Jews and the resulting half-breeds, as the Jews referred to the Samaritans, and the tension that had been between these two ethnic groups for centuries. It wasn't a little insignificant deal for this Samaritan to stop and help this man. It was a problem for the people because here's Jesus being so radically inclusive, spreading the circle so wide as to not limit who can help who and who can be helped by who, but just demonstrating through this very, very provocative scene that what was most important is that care and compassion be extended. And the people listening to Jesus and the people reading Luke's gospel, including us today, it's a problem for us too. Because just hearing Jesus talk and and, 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 and include, I mean, just the, the, the willingness for Jesus to include a detail like this into this story takes it from being sort of a, a nice lesson, a nice like, moral that we can get from this to a very, again, provoking, stirring, upsetting kind of story, because now we can't just look at this and say, oh, well, it's just, you know, it's a neighbor is someone that needs to be nice. 
to. It's a neighbor is someone who is nice to someone. A neighbor is someone who receives the kindness from someone else. No, a neighbor is someone who can potentially be so different, so distinct, so separate, that in that moment of need and in that opportunity for compassion comes together to make something new and something beautiful. This this was a problem for them and it was a problem for us. What's interesting to me though is I read this passage over and over again and I noticed these problems and these characters and these people and all the things, just to be honest, in the, in, the, in the commentaries that I read, it was all about these people. It was all about the expert in the religious law. It was all about the two religious leaders. It was all about the Samaritan man himself. By the way, he's never called the good Samaritan in, by Jesus. He's just the Samaritan. We've kind of given him that name. But it, but it was interesting to me that in, in thinking about all these other problems that are in this passage... That, that, that I was sort of blinded, and I think people, if you're anything like me and these biblical commentators that I was reading, sort of blinded by all these other problems to perhaps what is the, the most significant problem of this passage. The most significant problem in this passage that is actually staring us right in the face as we, as we read this story, the, the most significant problem of this passage that is, that is literally lying on the side of the road. It seems to me that the biggest problem of this passage is that there's a broken, beaten, robbed, both of his money and his dignity, stripped and left for dead man in the ditch by the side of the road. That's a problem. And, and it just is so striking to me how in thinking about, we, we read this story and we, we, we're so quick to make it about ourselves. In fact, you know who named this story the Good Samaritan? Bible publishers, editors, maybe translators. I'm not sure that Jesus necessarily went around saying, did you hear the one I told about the Good Samaritan? In fact, I wonder if Jesus from time to time would get back with his disciples and say, remember that story about the, that I told about the half-dead man? That's... That's the problem. When the man said, who is my neighbor? Jesus didn't say, well, let me tell you about this good Samaritan. He said, let me tell you about a man who was on his way down from Jericho to Jerusalem. And he was robbed and he was beaten and he was left half dead on the side of the street. That's, that's the neighbor <laughs> right from the very beginning of this story. And it's interesting to me how easy it is that we sort of kind of move on to, well, am I like the priest or the Levite or am I like the Good Samaritan? Probably I'm like the Good Samaritan. You know, he, no, honestly, he's, he, the Good Samaritan is probably the, the greatest hero in the New Testament other than Jesus. If you think about 
people who are like lifted up as the moral ideal in, in the New Testament. There aren't many more other than Jesus that, that are higher on the, you know, the scale than the Good Samaritan. And we want to make this about ourselves. We want to make, oh, I'm so sorry. I was like the priest. I walked by and so sorry, I was like the Levite. I even looked, and then I just kind of kept on going. Or actually, I, I just won an award. I was, received the Good Samaritan Award. I, I mean, we just kind of make it about us. And I just think that Jesus wants to... And I, I don't think Jesus is not wanting us to learn some lessons about who we are to be. Don't get me wrong. Biblical interpretation for 2,000 years hasn't been completely off. <laughs> there are... There are there are important lessons for us to learn about who we are to be and who we are not to be and the example that we can follow and the kind of neighbor that we can be to people. But could it be that Jesus, first and foremost in the story, wants us not to think about ourselves but about the reality that there's a man broken and beaten and stripped and robbed both of his money and his dignity and left half-dead in a ditch by the side of the road. I just, I just think it's interesting how easily we overlook that idea. And maybe you're like, Pastor James, I've never overlooked that idea. I think about that every time I read this passage. Well, good for you. You're awesome. But how easy it is that I have overlooked this idea because it speaks to the reality of how easily I overlook people who are broken and robbed of their dignity so often, and left isolated and lonely and hurting and abandoned and forsaken in a ditch by the side of the road, both physically and emotionally and spiritually. How easy it is for me to, to do that. I, uh, when I first became a pastor at this church, when I first became a pastor, by the way, it was at this church. <laughs> and some of y'all trained me up, and you're still training me. Thank you very much. But one of the guys that was in our church, and he still comes around from time to time, was a guy named Ray Lopez, and some of you know Ray. And at the time when I first came, Ray owned a store on the east side, down of Santa Barbara, down off of, like, Anybody remember Cacique and Voluntario, I think? Just right down, right down there. And Ray, was, uh, Ray was excited about me coming just to hang out in his store with him. And he invited me, just, just come hang out in the store. And I'll tell you, I never took a class in seminary on hanging out in Ray's store <laughs> on the east side of Santa Barbara. Kids were walking in all day long, buying, I don't know if they had hot Cheetos back then, but it was something like that. And Ray was making me eat peppers and making fun of the way that I couldn't handle them. And I was trying to act like I could, and my face is just red and smoke's coming out of my ears. I'm like, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. But one of the joys of my life was getting to meet some guys like, uh, like Rafa and like Juan and a guy named Mike. 
And some of you remember those names. Some of you remember those people. And uh, I, I definitely didn't take a class in seminary on how to relate to guys like Rafa and Juan and Mike. They, they were, their experience of life had been a little bit different than mine had been. And, uh, and, and yet Ray created a space where I could just be in that store and those guys could come in and talk. And I was learning, learning how to pay attention to hurting and broken people and learning to listen to stories of difficulty and brokenness. and loss, and heartache. Uh, just a few weeks ago, um, or maybe a month ago now, I don't know how long it was, Kyla reported to me that she was in a little fender bender. And uh, she told me that she had come up at this intersection, and she was kind of looking over and noticed another fender bender at the intersection, so she was looking at it, and as she was looking at it, she saw this truck that had a low trailer, and she just saw the back of the truck and didn't see the trailer and just kind of rolled up into the back of the trailer. And no real damage likely done, but you can just, I mean, it's just so sunk, and you know how that feeling is. I just, oh, man, what's going to happen? And it's like this Milpas Rents construction truck and trailer and, I'm feeling for my wife as she's telling me the story. I'm like, oh, man, what happened? And she said that all of a sudden this big guy just got out of the, of the truck and came around, and, she, and he said, Kyla, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and she thought, he knows my name. Oh, that's Mike. <laughs> that's Mike. And he got out and... He said, I was actually looking over there too. <laughs> Glad I didn't bump into anybody myself. And he gave her a big hug. Mike was one of those guys, and, and I haven't seen him for a long time now, but he was one of those guys that I got to know at Ray's store. And Mike ended up living in our guest room for a summer. And, uh, and, and Ray and Mike and Juan and Rafa, those guys, they taught me so much about how to listen. I st you know better than anybody how far I still have to go in this learning process, but how grateful I am for people who have helped to teach me along the way. We are so we have we have problems. <laughs> we have problems. With listening. We have problems with noticing. I have a problem with noticing it right there in front of me in the story. So no doubt I have problems noticing. There's kids on my basketball team that I treat as a commodity. How good is your jump shot? That's how valuable you are to me. And I have to catch myself when I get upset with them for making a particular pass or particular play, and, and I have neighbors that live all around me, and, and, and you know, I, I, I determine how 
what I think of them by the smells that emanate from their windows, <laughs> right? Anybody else got neighbors like that? And I, and I, and I, I just slip into this place of, of like judgment, and I'm like, just, I mean, I don't want to get high right now, you know. <laughs> Maybe later, <laughs> but, but not right now, no. We make people into commodities, or we make people into, into just bad people, or we make we, you know, Kyla tells me about the kids that she teaches in the learning center in El Camino, and, and they're having learning, they're behind in their, in their schoolwork, they're behind grade level in reading and math, and she hears stories about how they were up till 3 a.m. the night before sleeping in the backseat of their car because their parents were at a party. And, and we judge these people because of what we see, and we forget that there's a whole story. I forget that most of the kids on my basketball team are not from wonderful homes, or at least a number of them, and a couple of them in particular have a past that is really troubling. <laughs> and I don't know what's going on in my neighbor's house, <laughs> but the smell emanating from the window is, is not a, it's not a, it's not a character, a quality of them, it's a symptom of something else that's happening in that home, and, and the kids that are so problematic, why can't you just read, kid, are facing a whole other level. We just, we need to, this story tells us lots of things. It's lots of problems. It tells us lots of things, but it tells us to, tells us to pay attention. Oh God, give us the eyes and the ears to see and to hear the people around us who are broken, who have been robbed of their dignity, who are abandoned, forsaken, who are struggling just to get by, who have been left half dead by society. And, and, and here's the thing, we pursue this, we pursue this invitation to love God and to love our neighbors, and to do so in a very practical and tangible way. There's no, like, touchy-feely love with Jesus. Did you notice that? Go and do likewise. He didn't say, go and feel likewise. He didn't say, go and dwell in that reality. He said, go and do, just like you've seen here. And we're invited to, to live into this life of listening and paying attention and learning to hear stories and learning to... to to value people and learning to, like the Samaritan man did, not go across the street, but to, to, to close the space. Did you see that? He closed the gap and he went towards the man and he took the oil and the wine that perhaps he had been reserving to keep himself refreshed in case of need and he used it to anoint the wounds of the man and he took the donkey that he had been riding on and he got off it and he placed the naked man onto the donkey and he likely walked himself the rest of the way to the inn and he got to the inn and he gave the innkeeper after caring for the man for a couple of days two more weeks wages saying take care of this man and I got you if any more is needed sacrificing of himself 
We're invited to this kind of life because here's the reality. We have been that guy on the side of the ditch, on the side of the street, in the ditch. Most of us know the reality of what it has been to be abandoned, forsaken, forgotten, isolated, lonely, robbed of our dignity. And there was one who, when everybody else cast us aside or said, that's too bad, or what you've done is too far gone, there was one who stopped and came to us, who closed the gap, who pursued us. We sang of his reckless love this morning, who came and found you. There's one who came and found me. And because of this one who found us, he sends us out to listen and to learn and to find others for his glory.